I know some of you follow politics and may have been paying attention the last couple of weeks. We've heard a lot about unity and division among the uh, political parties. Uh, every candidate pledges to unify America. And their opponent, of course, is going to divide us horribly. Uh, we are stronger together. Uh, we want to make America one again. Uh, all of that's good, high-sounding stuff. And uh, you can pay as much attention to that as you want. Today, we're talking about something much more important than America. What we are discussing is the, the Church of Jesus Christ. And unity or division within that body. We've said every week in this series that the church is what Jesus promised to build. He said, I will build my church. He bought it with his blood. He called it the kingdom of God. God puts saved people into the church. All of the saved are in the church. He left the church on earth to be the pillar and ground of the truth, he said. Someday, soon and very soon, we pray, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to take the church to the holy city. His family, those called out from the world, the church, will live forever in the holy city. That's what we're talking about. That church. Now, we also learned that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He prayed first for his apostles, and then he said, I don't just pray for these 12 that have been with me. He said, I also pray for those who will believe in me through them. And that includes us. That includes all the saved. He said, I pray for them, and I pray that they may all be one, and then he went on, as Brother Elroy just led, read to us, to give us the reason he wants us to be one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's our message to the world, unity, love, functioning together. Well, we've seen all that, and we've also spent time learning and seeing how badly man has messed that up. Uh, we don't present that one to the world. And we started with some history. We talked about the apostasy and how the church changed and organized over uh, in, in earthly ways and changed doctrines and made things up. We saw how men tried to reform it. We saw how men decided that won't work. Let's try to restore it. Let's just follow the Bible. And we saw that all of that just brought division and new names and new groups and less and less one. Last week we talked about five ways that we could move a little closer to Jesus' prayer, a little closer to trying to be one. And all of those were really good ideas. Uh, I think they'd all work if we did them, if we tried them. But I guarantee they won't work without one ingredient. And that's what we're going to get to today, finally. One secret ingredient. Uh, luckily, I know what it is, and I'm willing to share it with you. So let's, let's talk about that 
personal one thing that will help us get toward unity. This is the real key to unity. Now, some say that unity is impossible. They've given up on restoring the church. They say, let's just be ecumenical. Let's just say everything's all right, no matter what you believe or practice or do, and we'll just call it good. We'll call ourselves all Christians, and it'll be wonderful. Well, that's an idea, not a good one, but it's an idea, because the book says there are some things that make unity impossible. The book says there are a few things that make it impossible for people to be together and call themselves the body of Christ and present that one face that Jesus talked about. I put them on your handout for you. One is in Second John 9. Where John tells Christians, he said, if somebody doesn't abide in the teaching of Christ, then don't associate with them. Don't have anything to do with them. And that's a very abused verse. I don't have time to explain much about that. But a lot of people take that where it says if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, and they change it, if you don't abide in the teaching of me, then I won't associate with you. It's not what it says. It says the teaching of Christ. And the verse before says, explains it, it says there are people, many deceivers have gone out into the world who say Jesus is not God come in the flesh. And then he turns around and says if somebody teaches that, if they don't teach Christ like we taught you, then don't have anything to do with them. Okay? So that's one case where somebody says uh, Jesus is not the Son of God. Well, we can't call ourselves one. We can't be one. Another place is in 1 Corinthians 5.13, where Paul tells the church in Corinth, if you've got somebody that's sinning, openly sinning, and will not repent, that wants to act like everything's okay and will not listen to the teaching and the admonition of his brothers and sisters, then avoid them. Okay? So unrepentant, open sin, there's a process to go through. You go to him, you talk about it, you discuss it. If he doesn't listen, you go through on the process and all that. But at the end, if he says, no, I'm going to keep doing this, and I'm going to keep calling myself a Christian, and I'm going to keep coming to church, I'm going to act like everything's all right, he says to purge that person, expel that brother. It's harsh. But he says it's for the health of the body and for the salvation of that person. Okay. The last one is in Romans sixteen seventeen. A divisive attitude makes unity impossible. Paul said to the Romans, he said, You watch out for people who cause division. You watch out for people that that's just their thing. They want to divide. They want to split things apart. And in verse 18, he says, they don't serve the Lord. They serve their own appetites. They want to be right about everything. So if they've got a divisive attitude, he says, avoid them. Okay, so there's three cases, three instances in the Bible where we can't have fellowship. We can't, uh, we're supposed to expel them. We're supposed to avoid them. If they deny Christ as the Son of God, if they insist on sin unrepented of, and if they have a divisive attitude. Now, those are real situations. They're rare, 
We don't see all of that happen too often. Very rarely does a visitor come in here and say, I, I kind of like Northside. I'd like to be part of this place. You know, you've got good potlucks and everything's cool here. So I'd like to be a part of the body, but I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. If it did, we'd have to say, no, we can't be one. I'm sorry. Yeah. So anyhow, that's what we're talking about, real but rare kind of things. Uh, unity's impossible in those situations. Now, much more often, unity's possible. Much more often, unity is possible. It's possible, but unity is almost always difficult. Unity is difficult, folks. It's difficult because there's always conflict. When humans deal with each other, we disagree about things. We have conflict about things. We don't see everything the same way all the time, and that makes unity hard. Now, let me point out here, you need to listen up now, even if you aren't too interested in the unity of the church, because what I'm going to tell you works anywhere. What you're going to learn from now on works any place, not just in the church. Let me try that a couple of times. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Anybody ever work somewhere in a job situation where it was just miserable? Yeah, it was just a pain. Well, why? Well, you say because of all the conflict. Nobody got along with each other. It was just a mess, and I just hated it there. Okay. Was work ever fun for any of you? You ever worked somewhere that was kind of fun? Well, let me ask you, was there conflict there? Oh, yeah. There was conflict. People disagreed. Not that everybody agreed and had exactly the same mind and all that. But in a place where it's fun, you handled the conflict. You understood that even though you disagreed about some things and you were all different, you were there for the same purpose. And you worked it out and you handled it. Okay? It's not the conflict. It's how you handle the conflict. Okay? Let me try another example. Any of you ever see? Now, I know none of you are party to it, but any of you ever see in the world a horrible marriage? Where the man and wife were just at each other's throats all the time. All this conflict, it was they disagreed, they were different, they couldn't get along. It was horrible. Anybody ever see a great marriage? Let me ask you, was there conflict in that great marriage? I guarantee you there was. There's conflict in a great marriage, but the difference is how you handle it. The two people that live in that great marriage understand we're married for life. We're going to work this out. We're going to figure out how to handle this conflict, and we're going to get through it. And they did work through it. All right, the same is true for the church. There is always conflict. You can't put ten people in a room, much less 700, and expect there to be no conflict. We, we disagree about things. We have differences about how we handle things and ought to handle things. And sometimes we let that conflict separate. We let that conflict divide. And we come up with 
all sorts of things. And we call it different things. Sometimes we say, well, it's a doctrinal matter. And we don't agree about how the Holy Spirit operates. We don't understand that. We don't understand about the end times, exactly how that's going to work. We disagree about exactly what we ought to do in worship. People disagree about what you ought to say when you baptize somebody. The words that ought to be spoken. We disagree about what we ought to do in a building. When the Bible doesn't even say anything about a church building. We've got brethren that disagree about how we ought to spend money. What we can spend it on and what we can't once it goes in the plate and becomes the Lord's money. We disagree about the size of the communion cup that we use, whether it's a big one or a little one. Well, we call it doctrinal things, and we disagree. There's conflict. Okay? Sometimes there's conflict about what direction the church should go. Should we have this program or that program? Should we hire this youth minister or that one? Should we spend money on the facility or should we not? Should we go into debt or should we not? I've got some friends with a small church in another state, and I talked to them one time. I said, how are things going there? And they said, well, okay, but we lost some families. How do you lose families? I mean, that's scary. What happened to them? Oh, well, they left. They chose to leave. Why? Well, the leaders decided that we were going to spend some money on the facility. Make it a little more user-friendly and visitor-friendly and all that and spend some money on that. They disagreed. They didn't think we ought to spend money on that. That we ought to spend it on some kind of evangelistic program or something. So they got upset and left. I'm talking real world here, folks. The direction of a congregation sometimes causes people, it always causes conflict, but sometimes people leave because of it. When things change... We hate change. Change is hard for us. It's difficult. And that's just because we're human. No one likes to change. Okay? And, and sometimes when we change the songbook, we change the color of the carpet, we change the service time, there's conflict. Somebody doesn't like it. The method that we use to do things do you remember back when we had joy buses? Okay. That changed how we did things. We were all of a sudden going out and picking up kids that had never been in church before. Did that cause any conflict? Lord have mercy, that caused conflict. <laughs> I mean, at Northside, we had 100 kids that had never been in church before. And so we said, whoa, this is a little tough <laughs> in the assembly here. Let's take them off to another room, and we'll have a children's lesson for them. That was change. That was a different method of doing things. And you know, some people rose up and got all bent out of shape and said, you can't do that. Everybody's got to worship in the same room. Yeah, really. Okay. A different method gets conflict going. We just have to decide what's the best way to do something. What's the best way to teach and grow people in a church? Well, some people say you do that for an hour on Sunday morning, you do it for an hour on Sunday night, and you do it for an hour on Wednesday night. That's the way you do it. And if you try to use a different method, some people get excited. 
There's conflict. Okay? All of those, there's 10,000 reasons. I could go on all day of things that cause conflict and sometimes divide. There's 10,000 reasons I could list, but my contention is there is not one valid reason among them for division in the body of Christ. They're not reasons, they're excuses. They are cover stories. They cover up the dark secret that is the real cause of division. And that's what I'm going to tell you now. Now we're starting the sermon. We just got ready to preach. Let's find the secret. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. What did Paul tell the church in Ephesus? Make every effort, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Underline that. Unity of the Spirit. That's key. You've got to understand that. Unity, spirit, they go together. Now, jump to Galatians 5.17. And Paul says to the Galatians, these works of the sinful nature, the acts of the flesh, depending on what translation you have. Uh, no, I'm one step ahead of me here. The, the sinful nature, he says, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. All right, you've got to get this one. Paul says, the flesh, our earthly nature, what we want is contrary to what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit wants is contrary to what the flesh wants. And he goes on and says in the next sentence, they're opposed to each other. They're absolutely opposed to each other. Okay? What the flesh wants is one thing, what the Spirit wants is another, and they are opposed to each other. They're opposite. Okay? Let's go on to verse 19 now. He says, the works of the sinful nature, when the flesh is working, when it's in control, its works are obvious They're easy to see. And some of you are reading this verse and say, I never saw that verse before. Okay, because I've edited that verse. I've taken out all the things that we like to read about. See, most of us know that verse, and it lists sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft and drunkenness and orgies. We like to preach about those, don't we? That's the works of the flesh. You stay away from sexual immorality, idolatry, and witchcraft, and debauchery, and drunkenness, and orgies. We like those because I don't know about you, but I think most of us in here don't have a real problem with orgies. I haven't debauched in years. It's not a problem for me. So that part of the verse is cool. But if you read all the verse, mixed right in the middle of that are the works of the sinful nature. And he says it's all those things that we like to talk about, but it's also hatred 
and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and discord and divisions and factions. See what he's saying? When the flesh works, when the flesh is in control, it's going to divide. There's going to be factions. There will be discord. There's always conflict. We already established that. But when the flesh is in charge, it's going to divide things. And so when I read all those three verses and put it all together, I thought, man, i got a rule of thumb here. i got to tell folks. And then I decided this is not a rule of thumb. I believe this is a universal rule that we need to learn. The Spirit always produces unity. And the flesh always produces division. Universal rule. The flesh desires division. The Spirit desires unity. Make every effort to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what? What's contrary to what the flesh wants. And the flesh wants what's contrary to what the Spirit wants. And the works of flesh are obvious. It divides things. There's hatred and jealousy and fits of rage. You ever ever see a Christian have a fit of rage? I have. I knew who was running things right then. The flesh. Wasn't the Spirit. The flesh. Spirit always produces unity. Flesh always produces division. Now, the verse before that says, Live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then in this verse he says, If you live by the flesh, you will have divisions and dissensions and factions. When you walk into a church that has divisions, they can't cooperate. There's people on this side can't talk to people on that side. When you walk into churches like that, and I've walked into churches like that, when you walk into those kind of churches, you know the flesh is in charge. You know the Spirit's not working. He's not being followed. When you walk into a marriage where it's like that, where it's divided, where it's separated, where they can't function together. You know the flesh is in charge. I told you before, somebody said one time, two unselfish people never got divorced. I don't know if that's 100%, but it's pretty close. It's that self, it's that selfish ambition that causes divisions and factions and separations. When you walk into a family where there is division, where people can't get along, the flesh is working. Guaranteed. You go to a workplace where there's division and tumult and controversy and all of that because there's egos and there's pride and there's self-centeredness at work. They're not of one mind. Universal rule. All right, we've got the, that's the sermon right there. The Spirit always produces unity. Flesh always produces division. Let's just make sure we believe it. Let's check three verses as we finish up. James chapter 4, if you've got your Bible with you, James 
turn to James chapter 4, first couple of verses. Listen to James affirm what I just told you. James says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Well, James, have you been listening to my sermon? James says, I got it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. your desire, your flesh, what you want. I should have that position. I should have that praise. I should have that recognition that that other person's getting. I deserve it more. Why does he get to lead songs and I don't? Why is he an elder and I'm not? Why is she on that committee and I wasn't picked? When those things happen, you may find a cover story. You may find a Bible verse and say, well, I'm going to disagree about this. That's a cover story. What's working is your flesh. James says that's what causes quarrels and fights, is you want and you don't get. Okay, let's check Philippians. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Very well-known verse. Paul tells the Philippian church they ought to be like Jesus, have the attitude he had. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think back to that crazy list I gave you of 10,000 reasons. Think of one that really happened somewhere where you worshiped and apply that verse to it and see if it blows up that controversy. We disagree over things. There's conflict because we don't like change. I went through all of that. But what if we did this? You know, and we're really good here at Northside. We don't have some of the problems that other places have, but I know there's other places where those kind of things happen. Heard about a church one time. There were some people that didn't think church ought to sing one song. And the song leader led it one Sunday, and they got up and walked out. Yeah, there wasn't anything doctrinally wrong with it. They just didn't think they ought to sing it. I've heard of churches that when you change the style of songs a little bit, stop singing old, old hymns all the time and sing some things that the younger people kind of like and a praise chorus or two mixed in or something. Somebody gets excited and says, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. There's conflict and I'm going to divide over it. I'm going to be mad. That verse says, old people ought to say, you know what? If kids want to sing that, Man, let's sing all of it. That's what the verse says. Some of you are scowling at me. That verse says that. Don't think about what you want. Think about what they want. And the kids ought to say, those old folks like those old things. Man, let's sing all old things. We don't need to sing what I like. That's what the verse says. 
Let's check one more. Third John 9 and 10. Personal example here from John. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So when I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. One verse says, or one translation says, gossiping maliciously. John says, there's this guy named Diotrephes. And he's causing lots of trouble in the church. He's telling people that we shouldn't be apostles and we don't have authority and all that. And why? He likes to be first. Diotrephes likes to be first. His flesh wants to be first. So he causes trouble. That's the way it works, folks. Got a friend that preaches in a small town, and first time I met him, he, he told me he preached in this little town, and he told me which Church of Christ he preached for. And I said, "Say what?" There's fourteen hundred people in the town. They got three churches of Christ. Okay, one of them's got about forty. One of them's got about twenty. One of them's down in the teens. And I said, "Why is that? Why in a little town like that?" Can't you get a little closer to John 17? And he said, well, it's this. he told me a doctrinal thing, and he told me another one. And I said, well, yeah, I hear you talking, but tell me really why. He looked kind of funny, and he said, oh, well, years and years ago, somebody's grandpa got mad at somebody else's grandpa, and those families decided they couldn't worship together. Now there are generations past that, and I'm sure the people in the pews don't even know why they can't be one. Jesus weeps. Diotrephes wants to be first. Folks, we've learned that Jesus prayed that we may all be one. He wants us to be one. He even pointed out, he said, that's the one thing that will get the attention of the world. So how are we doing on this? Well, not well. In, in the big picture, we're not doing well. Worldwide, there are people that say, I'm a Christ follower, but they've got all kinds of walls between them and names dividing, and I'm this kind of a Christ follower, and he's that kind of a Christ follower. Among those who believe that the church ought to be restored, if we just follow this book, everybody could be one. We withhold the right hand of fellowship. We let disputable matters divide. We appoint ourselves judges of who's in and who's out and who's acceptable and who's not. Very few things in this book that say the body of Christ can be divided. I gave you three of them. There's very little in there that talks about that. And in the early years, there was very little that divided all the people who said, I've been saved by the Lord's blood. But then the flesh began to work and division came. 
I put a quote on the bottom of your handout that I think is a good one. A writer named Larry Crabb said, The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but it's rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the making of spiritual community. That's what I've tried to tell you. There's always conflict. It's how we handle it that matters. And we either handle it by letting the flesh run things, or we handle it by following the Spirit. The Spirit always produces unity. Flesh always creates division. Now we know that secret. We know the secret that spirit produces unity, flesh produces division. We've also gone from a big picture that we really can't do much about. We've done, gone from that big picture to a personal thing. And I hope we've gotten personal enough that this sticks in your mind. And when the future conflicts come up, they will come up, folks. We're going to have conflicts. When those conflicts come up that you choose, you consciously sit down and say, am I going to handle this conflict by the flesh or by the Spirit? Am I going to be Diotrephes or am I going to be somebody that follows the Spirit? Let's get a little more personal than that as we close. Division and disunity. See, as long as we talk about it at the big picture... Uh, there's the Roman church and the Eastern church and this and that. And we can just talk about that all day and not have any accountability. Well, we really can't fix that. But if we break it down from that big picture to things around us, and, you know, there's people meeting in different buildings because they can't, agree, they can't sing in one voice. Within a couple of miles of here, there's three. We really probably can't do much about that. Break it on down. Sometimes in a building, there's two or more groups that can't function together. I don't think there's any of that, if any at all, at Northside. But let's keep on going down. Sometimes there are two people who are not united. Two people who are not united. And sometimes, this is weird, but sometimes only one of them knows it. One of them has a grudge. One of them is jealous. One of them has felt a slight of some sort and decided, I won't have anything to do with them anymore. And maybe the other person doesn't even know it. Whether one or both or anybody knows it, that's not John 17. Jesus prayed that they may all be one. Now, I admit the bigger it gets, if it goes worldwide, then it's worse in some ways. But what can we do about it? What's the real key to unity? Is down in that one-on-one stuff. When there's conflict, we've got to decide whether we're going to handle it by the flesh or by the Spirit. And the Spirit always produces unity. Flesh always produces division. Jesus prayed that we would, those two people, 
would tear down that wall that's between them. In fact, Jesus told a story one time. He said, if you come to the altar, and we kind of did that about a half hour ago. He said, if you come to the altar and you recognize, you realize that you've got something against a brother or sister, that you're not one, he says, get up and go fix it. Leave right then and fix that problem. That's how serious he was about that unity thing. Make it right. We can't fix the big, big picture, but we can fix the one-on-one. Jesus wanted us to all be one. If there's something you need to fix, there's something you need to fix publicly. We're going to stand and sing a song. We invite you to come. doesn't have to be publicly. Go to that one that you're not one with. Make it right today. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come.